Thank you for downloading this podcast from Pardes North America. This episode of the Pardes Parsha podcast features Rabbi Alex Israel and Sefi Kraut on Parshat Bo. For the latest episode of the Parsha podcast, please visit elmod.pardes.org. And now, Rabbi Alex Israel and Sefi Kraut. Welcome to the Pardes Parsha podcast. My name is Alex Israel. I'm Sefi Kraut. And we are delighted to be with you today to be talking about Parshat Bo, which is really exciting because in this week's Parsha, the Jewish people actually leave Egypt and begin their actual journey into history. It's been a long way coming and it's nice to actually get there. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's really interesting because when we have, throughout the Ten Plagues, Moses has been doing lots of plagues and the Egyptians have been suffering, but the Israelites really have not been doing very much. And suddenly at the beginning of chapter 12, which is where a lot of the action happens, we get the first mitzvah, the first command to the Jewish people. In fact, this is the first command to the Jewish people as a nation in the whole Torah. And uh, Rashi even suggests that the Torah could have even begun here. But here's the interesting thing. The, the mitzvah, the command that we're given is, is God spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt and said, This month should be the beginning of months. It's the first of the months. And the rabbis learned from this that the institute of Rosh Chodesh, that we have uh, our calendar according to the moon, and the moon is going to decide when our months begin, um, and that's the way the Jewish calendar is going to be set up. And this is just really curious. Um, Sefi, I'm wondering, you know, what are you thinking when you're thinking about this this idea? Why, why is the first mitzvah that we get, the first groundbreaking command to the Jewish people on the eve of their freedom is to set up a calendar? You know, I know some people, it's the beginning of a year, and you get your calendar, you know, you order a calendar. What's going on here? Yeah, I I think I would have imagined a more dramatic mitzvah um, being at play if you're talking about the first ever commandment to the nation as a whole. You can imagine slaughtering a a lamb. Blood, the doorpost with its blood or something like that. Okay, so that comes with all of its its own questions, absolutely. Comes to this mitzvah of declaring a, a new month, declaring Rosh Chodesh. The Sfarno has a really interesting idea that helps us actually understand why this mitzvah is precisely the mitzvah that belongs here and now. And the Sfarno is uh, from Italy, um, 15th, 16th century, Parshan commentator. And he, he notices exactly what you're pointing out. He notices the context within which this mitzvah was given in that, in that um, the Israelites are on the verge of leaving Eretz Mitzrayim, and finally, finally uh, heading out after years of slavery. And it's in that context in which this mitzvah has special significance. And here we'll take a, a look at the at the Hebrew uh, from the Sparno. Um, this is from Exodus chapter 12, his commentary on verse 2. And he pays careful attention to the fact that the verse that you read um, uses the word lachem, 
twice, right? This is a month for you. It should be a the beginning of months. So here we go. This Marno. Mikan va'elech yu hakadashim shalachem. From here and onward, these months should be for you, shalachem. La'asot bahem kirtzonchem, to do with them as you wish. Aval bimei hashibud lo ayu yamechem shalachem. But in the times of slavery, these days were not yours. Aval hayu la'avodat acheirimu ritzonah. Instead, they were. This the time period was. Um, belong to others and their will, meaning your masters, those who were in charge of you. Therefore, this is the beginning for you of the months of the year. Because now you have the beginning of the reality of your choice. And so really what the Sparno is saying Absolutely, this should be the first mitzvah given to the nation as a whole because they are about to undergo a massive change in status. They are, they are coming from slavery in which they have no freedom or no say over how they use their time. Instead, it is those who are in charge of them, those who are the masters over them who decide when and what they do and how. And instead, now, finally, they are leaving into a new reality in which they will have the opportunity and the freedom to determine how they use their own time. And so, yes, actually, wow, what an amazing thing that time belongs to you. Right. Time is yours. You know, as you're talking, I'm remembering something from a, a Seder night when my kids were little. I used to sometimes like dress up and dress up as different things to animate the Seder. And one year I dressed up and I pretended I was a fugitive slave and I came knocking on the door dressed up in like a sheet with sandals on. And I said, I'm running away from my master. And, and, and uh, I, I did this whole play for my kids. And the story I told them was that um, my son asked me to come to his birthday party. Um, and he said, Daddy, last year you had to work for your, for your boss and you couldn't make it for my birthday party. And I said, and this year, it was my son's birthday party tonight. And my boss wouldn't let me, wouldn't let me go. Uh -huh. And I'm running away from my boss so I can go to my son's birthday party, right? And this idea that a slave's time is not his own, right? Right. And that suddenly the Jews have their, their own time. That's right. They can go to all the birthday, attend all the birthday <laughs> parties that they wish uh, and be part of family moments and create experiences as they envision them and as they would like, rather than being under someone else's watch. Right. It's just this really powerful idea. And it's fascinating that this uh, concept of determining our own time, I think is a really, we were talking about it on the individual level, but it also comes onto the national level. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we were talking about is that the, the Masechet Rosh Hashanah is all about the idea that um, a month doesn't just happen in Jewish law. You need to do something called Kiddush HaChodesh. You need to actually go to the court and you need to sanctify the month. And until the Beit Din stand up and say, you know, that it is Mekudash Mekudash, until they say, this is a sacred month, the month doesn't begin, right? It's like we just go and have a, a month, you know, it could be 29 days, it could be 30 days. But the Beit Din actually need to determine that, that time is literally given into our own hands in a in a legal sense right 
that. That's a really wild idea, I think. You know, the I can understand being in charge of my own time, I guess, for, because fortunately I've, I've, I've been blessed with that freedom to, to understand that experience. But the notion that on a, from a legal standpoint, we determine how the, when the Chagim are going to fall out and we determine the Jewish calendar, that's, that's quite a remarkable feat. And by the way, it enters into our liturgy because, for example, on Shabbat, the blessing that we say in the in the Shmona Israel and Kiddush is Mekadesh HaShabbat, that God sanctifies the Shabbat. But on festivals, we actually say Mekadesh HaShabbat, the Israel Vahazmanim. We always say Mekadesh Israel Vahazmanim, that God sanctifies Israel and special times. And the way that the Talmud explains it is, well, God sanctifies Israel. But he waits around for Israel to sanctify time. <laughs> we are the ones who are given the keys to decide, you know, time. So what do you make of that? Why why is it so important to God that that we take part, you know, or that we have some sort of control over time? I definitely think, I don't know why, mm -hmm. but I will say that I find it really a very powerful thing. You know, we all controlled by the calendar. Um and I see this so much having made Aliyah, for example. I come to live in Israel, and whether you like it or not, the Jewish holidays become your holidays. <laughs> and the time when kids are off school, or the time when everybody is going on tiulim, they're going on trips, will be around you know, Jewish holidays. Somebody can be absolutely non-observant, um, but they will 100% know when it is Hanukkah and they will 100% know when it is Passover. They'll even know holidays which are usually ignored by so many Jews like, I don't know, Shavuot. And they won't know it because they're going necessarily to a, you know, to an evening of learning. They'll know it because there are sales of cheese and white wines in the local supermarket. But, it, you know, somebody once said that here in Israel, there is a concept of positive assimilation. Mm. That you could take somebody who came from an absolutely assimilated background. They will have children grow up in Israel. They speak Hebrew. They will know where every single holiday is. They'll know when Shabbat is because the, the streets are quietening down. And it's the same way that sometimes it always, if I go to, to uh, England or to America in around December, suddenly Christmas hits me with full force. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and even though it's not something I observe, I find myself walking around the shops humming, you know, whatever the Christmas carols are because the music is playing everywhere. The calendar shapes us. Right. Um, so it's interesting. We shape the calendar, but the calendar shapes us. Right, right. Definitely an interplay there, uh, certainly. And I, I, I've actually been thinking about time a lot uh, lately. Uh, my friend and colleague, Svi Hirschfeld, uh, my colleague here at Pardes, suggested to me once, Sefi, you know, why don't you create a sure related to procrastination. <laughs> Did he have a obscure reason for choosing that for you? Well, let's say it wasn't random, but let's put it let's put it that way. In fact, I'll tell you, I, I, I mentioned to my mom that I had, you know, I took Svi's idea and I tried to run with it. And uh, and I, I mentioned to my, to my mother, who has 42 years worth of Jewish education experience behind her, that I was researching and crafting a shiur called Procrastination, case studies from the Torah. And she replied, well, you got to teach what you know. 
And uh, unfortunately, she wasn't referring to the Torah piece. <laughs> uh, my mother has known me a long time, and, and here it's just confession time. I am a massive procrastinator, a massive, massive procrastinator. And, uh, do you share that trait? Unfortunately, I can identify very, very well. Okay. Um, I, I, I you know, leave things to the last minute quite a bit. Time management is not my expertise. Nor mine, nor mine, to put it mildly. Um, and so when I, I've been thinking about this idea of, you know, Svarno here certainly is telling us what a privilege it is to be in charge of our own time. Um, and in thinking about time and Torah and procrastination, I came across an article written by James Clear, who is the best-selling author of a book uh, called Atomic Habits. I think it was published in 2018. Another confession, I have not read the book. However, I did read an article, a much shorter article by Clear, called Procrastination, a Scientific Guide on How to Stop Procrastinating. And uh, in this article, Clear makes a, a case for what happens in our brains when our procrastination habits start, uh, start showing up. And he talks about two selves, okay? There's the future self, and the present self. Now the future self sets goals, as you would imagine, goals for the future. And the future self values long-term rewards. The future self understands that there are great things down the line awaiting me if I can just meet my goals for the future, right? However, on the other, well, maybe I should say, on the other hand, right. at the same time, there is the present self. And the present self takes action, right? Doesn't set goals for the future, but takes action in the now. present, in the now, right? And the present self values instant gratification. That's the one which leads me to the place where the chocolate is in my house. Exactly Whenever right. Whenever I've got a paper to write. Exactly right, exactly right. Now you can see where sometimes these two parts of ourselves are in tension with one another. And I'll try to sharpen this with an example, okay? Let's say you've got Sarah. Sarah is taking a history course over the summer. First day of class, July 1st, her professor assigns her a paper that is going to be due on the last day of class, July 30th. Okay? July 1st is a Monday. Sarah goes to sleep Monday night with a plan. All right? Her future self says, the, is setting goals. The first week of this course, I'm going to do all my research. The second week of the course, I'm going to write my outline. The third week of the course, I'm going to perfect my draft and complete it. And the fourth week, I'm just going to spend the entire time feeling proud of myself that I've finished my paper. That's Monday night, July 1st. Tuesday morning, July 2nd, Sarah wakes up and she's got a choice to make. She can begin the research on her paper, as was the plan just last night, or she can scroll through the Instagram photos of her friend's birthday party. Now, which is Sarah going to do? If she's anything like me. <laughs> <laughs> us. Like us. But why do we do that? Because, yeah, the future self, you know, Sarah's future self is telling her, I've got these great reward, I've got these great goals set. And I know that they're good for me in the long term. There's great rewards waiting for me. But the present self is the self that makes the decisions for the now. And the present self values instant gratification above all else. Right. And in the moment, Sarah says, ah, who cares about the research? I want to I see these photos. That's a lot more fun than researching my paper. 
And so the present self continues to win out, which leaves us with the question, what in the world ever gets Sarah to write that paper? Right, what does, yeah. Right. Can I add something? Sure, I, please. When it comes to procrastination, there's also, sometimes the future is overwhelming. Um, I, I'm, I'm thinking about it as you're talking um, about the fact that Israel actually, the, the Israelites end up getting stuck for 40 years. <laughs> and it's almost like they can't, their fears of the present frequently overcome their aspirations to the future. The future, maybe is it's too distant, the lofty goals of nationhood. They want to become a nation, but now I'm just scared or it's just too overwhelming. Right. I think that, that fear, fear of failure or fear of inadequacy or simply overwhelmingness mm. of a situation. Is that a word? Overwhelmingness? I'm not sure, but... <laughs> But in a situation are some of the major features of procrastination. They play out, and actually, in the Shior procrastination case studies from the Torah, we can see a lot of examples in the Torah of those kinds of features that paralyze characters. And you know, it's so, so interesting that next week we're going to read about the, the man, the manna, which fell every single day. It was short-term food, not long-term food. Ah, great. So so I here is, I'll, I'll make a plug for a, a TED Talk that you and I w- were talking about before the podcast. Um, I think it's one of the most TED, one, one of the most watched TED Talks of all time by Tim Urban about procrastination. And he distinguishes between short-term procrastination and long-term procrastination, mm. which you've just mentioned. Um, and... And so and so yeah so all of the, that overwhelmingness we get in our own ways the fear all of those are factors absolutely um and just to come back to Sarah and her paper right what is ultimately going to hopefully eventually get Sarah to write her paper well as the due date of July 30th gets closer and closer and closer the pain level that Sarah feels about this paper is increasing, right? The anxiety, the guilt, shame sometimes. I'm going to throw in a little bit of self-loathing because I know I feel that one often as, I, as I'm watching my timeline uh, get more and more pressured. And at a certain point, if you're a professional procrastinator like Sarah is, it's July 29th, and the deadline for the submitting this paper is tomorrow. And now all of the sudden, she crosses the action line. Why? Says James Clear, James Clear, she crosses the action line because the future has become the present. Right? The future self and the present self have now collided. There is no future, you know, left. left. <laughs> now it's now or never. And that finally gets Sarah into gear and she writes the actual paper. And so one of the many uh, takeaways from this article or suggestions from James Clear is, can we find a way to make future consequences, whether they are rewards or punishments, can we find a way to make them present consequences? For example, and and with this, we'll uh, I'll wrap this piece up here. Uh, someone wants to go for a jog at 7 a.m., but they just, and they know this is good for my health. This is, you know, I have these goals. I want to ultimately run 5K down the line. But it's, you know, when you wake up in the morning, what gets you out of bed? Maybe it's not, oh, well, one day I'll feel so good about myself because I can run 5K. Maybe it's if I get out of bed now, 
and go on that run, I'll reward myself with listening to the podcast that I've always, you know, that I'm really looking forward to listening to as I run. And so that would be an example of making a reward a present consequence rather than a future consequence. Wow. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, I, if I can just like comment, so we didn't even plan uh, this little bit. One of the things I find fascinating when you talk about taking hold of time is that when they, in the continuation of, of chapter 12, which we're discussing here, they're told that they need to eat the um, paschal lamb and they eat the matzah and the maror. They need to eat it for chaltimoto bechipazon. You need to eat it very fast. And um, in the first passage of the Tzidkara Tzadik, Tzadaka Koin of Lublin, he says that this is a model for all mitzvot, that there is this sense of inertia, there's this sense of procrastination. And he says, you have to seize the day. Seize the moment. He says, if they wouldn't have done, if they wouldn't have gone out of Egypt right then, then the window of opportunity would have closed. Because in a few minutes, you know, Pharaoh's going to regret letting them leave. So sometimes it's when you feel that enthusiasm, when you say, I'm going to go out for a jog, go out for a jog, or else, you know, you'll soon find it's four o'clock in the afternoon and it's already dark, right? right. And he he says that this this notion that we had to eat the Korban Pesach so fast is this idea that when we feel enthusiasm, sort of take that enthusiasm and go with it, run right. with it, because... You have a window of opportunity, and 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 he says, and then once you've already gone through the threshold of being able to sort of get that startup energy, then you can. I think that maps on perfectly, at least with my personal experience of, of procrastination. That often starting is the hardest thing, right? And in fact, once you get going and you're in gear, it flows so much more easily and smoothly than you ever imagined. When you before, when you were couldn't get going and, and thought of all the reasons that this wouldn't work or all, all the obstacles you're going to hit along the way. So, yeah, I think that that maps on beautifully. I think it's very real, real world. Great. Well, I'm going to finish off with a with a with an idea that I also brought, which brought ideas on this particular mm -hmm. pasuk. So uh, there's an idea that I've always loved of uh, of Rabbi Samson Rafael Hirsch, because, of course, this notion of the new moon. First of all, I find it always an interesting contrast celebrating the new moon in Egypt, which worshipped the sun uh, uh, with the sun god. So maybe there's sort of an anti-Egypt thing, like Egypt worshipped the sun, we're going to worship the moon. But I, I think Egypt actually worshipped the moon too. They worshipped everything. Uh -huh. But but Samson Rafael Hirsch says that there's some concept of uh, we celebrate Rosh Chodesh, which is the renewal of the moon. First of all, Sometimes we, a lot of our, you take Passover, take Sukkot, they're always on the full moon on the 15th of the month, which would express the greatest amount of bounty, the, the, the greatest amount of light in the, in the world. So what is this idea of celebrating the new moon? And he says that the sun is somehow, the sun is akin to God. The sun is a source of energy. It's always there. It's giving energy to the universe. And the moon is a receptor. The moon goes up and down. The moon's like us. It's like the Jewish people. Our fortunes um, go up. Our fortunes go down. Jewish history has always been very turbulent. Now, of course, at the end of the month, the moon is totally in the dark at its lowest point. And celebrating Rosh Chodesh, we're celebrating the first point of contact of the moon with the sun. So the sun rejoins, rejoins the light. Sorry, Try again. The moon rejoins the, the, the light of the sun. It refines 
it's sort of upward movement. And he says, this is, if we can put that back into our allegory, it's like the Jewish people refinding God. Um, so he says what we're, now you might say, what should we celebrate? We should celebrate when we reach the climax, when we reach the highest point. But maybe this goes back to our sort of like getting that, that momentum, right? Mm -hmm. He says what we're actually celebrating is that initial contact point where we renew, we've been almost in a state of exile, call it, in a state of uh, down. Uh, you know, we all go through moments of high inspiration and low inspiration. The dark moon is, we're feeling blah, we're feeling uninspired. We're having, if I want to put it in religious terms, a religious low moment. I, I just haven't been doing anything. And then suddenly I rediscover, the moon rediscovers the sun, rediscovers, wow, I just heard a, a wonderful Dvar Torah. I heard a shear. I learned something. Oh, I feel back in touch. And the and and the and, and what do we do? We celebrate that small moment. We celebrate that small moment. A bit maybe like what you said before, making the future in the present. Uh, yes, I mean, I, first of all, I think you're, you're. This is such a hopeful message that that you're giving us, and uh, which I appreciate tremendously. Um, you know, you said maybe you'll have you went to a shiur or that inspired you. I'll say this conversation. This conversation with you is is enough for me to spark a rekindling of. Wow, there's there's a lot in Torah that is that feels relevant and and uh, and can get me uh, can get me thinking and feeling and in touch with where I want to be and where I want to go. And so even a, a conversation with somebody can That's make that happen. Definitely true. And I and I think that interestingly, you know, you raised the point before of, of when it comes to procrastination that sometimes one of the major obstacles is feeling overwhelmed. And I think that's, I think that's you know, spot on for, for many people in the world, certainly for myself. And this notion of celebrating that little sliver of the moon because the start piece, right? That, that, that's, that, that little start that, that where you start to feel hope and you, you grab onto something is incredibly significant. And when it comes to procrastination, James Clear and many others who write about it and talk about it, Mention the same point. Not only is it the starting, you know, it's the starting that's the hardest, which we've mentioned, but also it's breaking things down into their smallest component parts so okay. that it's not as overwhelming. It's just that little sliver of the moon, right? It's just that, okay, so I, you know, I'm not starting running 5K, you know, I'm going to start running. I'm going to wake up and be proud of myself for getting up at 7 a.m. and I'm going to start running for one minute, you know? If you break that down into smaller goals and you are proud of yourself for those small goals and you don't dismiss them as as uh, ugh, you know as 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 insignificant accomplishments, but rather as the start of something and valuable in and of itself, we motivate ourselves. Right, that that's fantastic. And I and I want to maybe add on to that, which is you know I find it beautiful this idea that we can celebrate Rosh Chodesh and it's a time of renewal. But if I'm realistic, right, what we're actually saying is, well, by the latter half of the month, I'm going to be in a down, right? And maybe there's also something important that I'm a person who I value consistency a lot. And I get, I am actually a runner. And oh, one of the reasons why I, I, I did not know that when I, and why, the one of the reasons why I keep running is because I'm always scared if I stop running, I'll stop completely. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, you know, maybe this notion that not to be too phased by the downs. And to really realize that our, even if, you know, the moon starts going dark again, well, okay, not all is lost and there will be an up. And uh, that's, that's a great sense of hopefulness.
I think that's what makes Torah real. You know, it, it, it's not, uh, if Torah is meant to speak to the human experience, then it needs to recognize and we need to recognize in it that it talks to us when we are feeling the full moon and when we are feeling the lack of the moon and when we are feeling just a bit of the sliver of the moon. That's the human experience. Well, Sefi, thank you so much. We've covered so much here. Notion of like taking our time into our own hands, national time, procrastination, renewal. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Rav Alex. Thank you so much. Shabbat Shalom to you all. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episodes of the Pardes Parsha podcast.